Let's pick up with our Old Testament passage now in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. All right, so we have a long term. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. According to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So this was worse than, than Jeroboam's sins. This was worse than the ten tribes. He went, he, he, he went back to all the demon gods. So he returned. He returned to the demon gods. For he rebuilt the high places his father had broken down. Amazing. Hezekiah brought great revival. And his son, Grabetalega. So this is, this is what we call a bad king. This is a bad king. He, built, he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He erected altars to the Baals and made Asherahs. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So he worshipped and served. One, he worshipped and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall be my name forever. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Now, can you imagine that? He polluted the temple. He brought demons into God's house. Now, brothers, sisters, this is something that you have to realize. You are always going to find Satan wants to destroy God's house. Satan wants to occupy God's house. Do you remember Satan's famous I wills? I will sit on the throne of the Most High. Satan wants to replace God. I can't even imagine how despicable a man has to be to build demon altars in both courts of the Lord's house. So this is like an ecumenical worship thing, okay? All the demon gods, are, this is a common, he would have presented it in his day as a common worship center. That's how it would have been presented. Very politically correct. But you know what? God's house is God's house. He burned his sons as an offering. What kind of a man burns his sons alive? Well, what kind of a man does this? In the valley of the son of Hinnom, and he used fortune telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and wizards. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And he carved, and the carved image of the idol that he made, he set in the house of God, of which David, of which God said to David and Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. So he built an idol in God's house. I will no more remove the foot of Israel from the land I appointed to your fathers, if only they will be careful to do all that I commanded them, all the law and the statutes and the rules given through Moses. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Leaders lead into sin. This is why it's so important who you follow and who you listen to. You know, I sat down with a family one time and the husband had gotten into the clubs and he was messing around with girls and he was drinking and he was drunk a lot. And it was a pastor who led them into the thing. It was a pastor who took him into the clubs and said, let's have a good time. He watched the pastor have girls sit on his lap, the, the drink girls. He, he watched the pastor drink alcohol and get drunk. So he did too. See, leaders lead. This is why it's, it's more important how a person lives their life than even how they preach. Think about that one. 
the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So God spoke, ignored. Now, this is not the only time we see God's people ignoring God. You see it also in the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to go over here. If you weren't with me this morning, I'd open it up in the Proverbs and because you ignored me, I will ignore you. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers when he was in distress. Brothers and sisters, don't wait for distress. <laughs> Please. It's wonderful to be a good repenter, it's better to, by grace, live right. Let me say that again. It's wonderful to be a good repenter, but it's a lot less painful to, by his grace, live right. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. How did Manasseh know that the Lord is God? Forgiveness. Forgiveness and restoration. Afterward, he built an outer wall for the city of David west of Gihon in the valley and for the entrance into the fish gate and carried it around Ophel and raised it to a very great height. He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord. Wonderful! And all the altars he had built on the mountain. Okay, so repentance shown by actions. You know, and I wonder how he felt as he removed that idol, as he removed the demon gods, and he removed the demon altars from the house of God. I wonder how he felt as he removed them. I wonder if he ever thought the thought, you know, if I would have never done this, I would have never gone through all this pain. You know, sometimes I call this the road back. Have you ever thought how the prodigal son felt? Because he had to leave the pig pen and walk back through all those cities that he had lived with the wild life. All the debauchery, all the drunkenness, all the parties with his friends. He had to walk back and look at all those places. And now he's in poverty and he's hungry and his clothes are a mess. Sometimes the road back is a great reminder. You see, God could just bring you right back. But sometimes the road back is what makes sure that you never pass that way again. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. All right. So right God, wrong place. So these people are what we call partial obedient. And they're partially obedient because they want convenience. They don't want to go to Jerusalem. They don't want to go up to the house of God. They want to do it right where they are. They, they say, yes, we'll offer the sacrifices to God, but we want the convenience that we had with our demon gods. <laughs> we want the convenience that we have with our demon gods. Remember everything I taught you with Jeroboam. So, because Manasseh had led the people into this convenient worship of demon gods, they said, all right, now we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of the demon gods and we'll worship the real God, but we still want our convenience. So this is partial obedience because of convenience. The rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And his prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty and all his sin and faithlessness and the sites on which he built high places and set up the ashram and the images before he humbled himself, not after. Behold, they are written in the chronicles of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers and they buried him in his house and Amnon his son reigned in his place. Now, Amnon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. 
He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So, all right, we have a bad king. Now, he's 22 years old. He has a great father. Now, the father had made mistakes, but the father had repented and done right. But now, the son does the bad part. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, has done. Amnon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. So he worshipped and he served. So notice, there's two things that people do with demons. They worship and they serve. But he did not humble himself before the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. But Ammon incurred guilt more and more. So his daddy did repent, but Manasseh did not. Now, there's a lesson that you need to learn here. Sometimes our children follow us into sin, but they don't follow us into repentance. So it's, it's, it's very important parents, that we just live right. Now, let me put the principle there. Principle. Kids follow us into sin. But not into repentance. You see, you can teach a child to sin, but you can't teach a child character. You can't teach a child humility. It takes humility to repent. And his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. But the people of the land, these are the Israelites, struck down all those who conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Chapter 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So here we have a child king, eight years old. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So we have a child king, but we also have a good king. For in the eighth year of his reign, 12 years old, he's eight years old, so he's 16 years old. Get my addition here. He's 16 years old. He begins the reign when he's eight, eight years, so he's now 16 years old. While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year of his reign, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. So when he's 20 years old. So when he's 16 years old, he has a personal revival. When he's 20 years old, he leads a national revival. Now, this is important. As a child, he begins to reign. As a child, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek God. Now, I like that word, began. He didn't stop and start. It was not transitory. It was continuous, not temporary. He began to seek the Lord, the God of his father. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, and the carved and metal images. So he begins to remove the demon altars. And they chopped down all the altars of the Baals in his presence. Any Baal that he saw, he chopped down. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and carved the, and the carved and metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Now, he continues with this great purge. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars. Now, these, these are the, the false priests. These are the demon priests. And cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, in all their ruins all around. And he broke down the altars, and he beat the ashram and their, the images into powder, and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So this is what we would call a national demolition tour. 
He toured all of the land that he was responsible for as the king of Judah and, and the, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and a little bit of Naphtali and things. And he then returned to Jerusalem. He destroyed every graven image. He, he destroyed every demon altar that he could find. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites and the keepers of the threshold had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judea and Benjamin and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So this was the offering for God's house. This was not the tithe. This was the offering for God's house. And they gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of God. And the workmen were working in the house of God, gave it for repairing and restoring the house. They gave it to the carpenters and the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for binders and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. Amazing. Amazing. The kings let God's house go to ruin. Amazing. They didn't care about God's house. And the men did the work faithfully. Now, that's beautiful. Over them were set Jahath and Obadiah of the Levites of the sons of Merai and Zechariah and Meshulam of the sons of the Kohites to have oversight. The Levites, all who were skillful with music, with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and directed all who did the work in every kind of service and some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. Now notice, the musicians, the music people, the music people directed the burden bearers and directed the work of every kind of service. Isn't that interesting? The musicians were telling the contractors what to do. I think that one's funny. Now, you can sit down and say, all right, Sister Bev, you're going to run the next building project. <laughs> okay, she will have a great laugh at you. And while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of God, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Emphasis on the word found. They found God's word. Now, that tells you God's word had been lost. Now it was found. There were no copies. Can you imagine? No copies of the law of God that anybody had access to. So while they're digging things out and pulling down walls, they found one copy that had been obviously hidden away. Now, brothers and sisters, how in the world had they gone so far away from God that they had lost every copy of the law of Moses? Every copy of what they called the law had been lost. This is what happens when God's house is neglected. Neglect God's house, you lose God's word. Now that's something that you need to meditate on. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaptan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaptan. Shaptan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king, all that was committed to your servants, they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He recognized what this was. He recognized. See, they still had their oral tradition. They still heard the rumors of what the commandments of God said. And now for the first time, they read it themselves. But he recognized it. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have kept not the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to 
Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and spoke to her to that effect. Now notice a woman. Now, you know, all these people that want to say there should be no women in ministry. Notice she had a husband. They didn't go talk to her husband. Her husband was not the prophet. She was the prophetess. So women in ministry. And the king and all of Israel listened to this woman. Wow. Maybe some people need to back up on their doctrines of no women in ministry. And she said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster on this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah. God said, I keep my word. God said, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Because they have forsaken me. One. And have made offerings to other gods. Two that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out in this place and will not be quenched. But, <laughs> a man once told me, everything after the but is of the devil. Nah, I don't think so. But, to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of me, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was tender, Number one, you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard these words against this place and its inhabitants. And you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and have wept before me. I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Brothers and sisters, get the principle. God hears a humble heart. Get the principle. No matter what is going to be coming because of disobedience and rebellion, God hears the humble heart. Because your heart was tender, because you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, because you have humbled yourself before me, because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. God hears a humble heart. Brothers and sisters, please hear me today. Your God is a God of mercy. I know that maybe you have done some things that are really, really bad and really, really wrong. But if you will humble yourself before him, just like this king, just like the people of Nineveh, if you will humble yourself before him, you have a God who will show mercy because that's, that's who he is. <laughs> Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see the disaster that I bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. So he sent, so the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and the king went up to the house of the Lord. And all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small, and they read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. Good leadership. Let them hear God. Let them hear God. Let them hear God's word. Let them hear God's word. Not just what you say about it. Let them hear God's word. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. So here's a covenant. And to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul and to perform the words of the covenant that are written in this book. Now here's the big point. With all his heart and all his soul. This was a man that was determined to do right for God. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Joshua took away all the abominations, not a few, 
all the abominations from the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. This is good leadership. Now, do you remember how often we read you of other kings? They did what was right in the eyes of God, but they did not remove the high places. But they did not do this. But they did not do that. This guy, there were no leftovers. He took away all the abominations. Unfortunately, there are degrees of obedience that we often see. Good leaders have no degrees in obedience. Good leaders obey with all their heart and all their soul, and they do everything God has told them to do. Amen. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Where is that? Where is that? I know who I am. I'm walking in power. 
Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 14. Paul said, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Now that's a beautiful thought. For the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, isn't it fascinating? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So now notice, there needs to be a motive of inclusion. Our motive of inclusion is not to quarrel. We're not letting you come in so we can fight with you, okay? But now also notice, the one who is weak in faith may be prone to quarrels. So sometimes people have weak faith, but strong personalities. And what I've often found is people with the weakest faith have the biggest mouth. Did I really say that? Yep, that really slipped out. People with the weakest faith have the, the biggest mouth, and, and they just they just want to fight over it. He says, so welcome them. But don't welcome them because you want to prove them wrong. Don't welcome them because you, you want to debate. Just understand these people are weak in their faith, so welcome them just to come and be a part of you. But again, notice... The people who are weak in faith are the ones who are prone to quarrel. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, that's not saying vegetarians, all right? This is because meat, in Paul's day, in the Gentile world, meat was offered in the Gentile world to idols, okay? This was something that was offered to their demon gods, and then it was brought to eat. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So notice, two attitudes. Okay? The one who abstains... The one who eats despises, and the one who abstains passes judgment. The one who abstains passes judgment, and the one who eats disdains. Now, disdains or despise means to think small of the person. You look down your nose at them. This is an attitude of superiority, and this is an attitude of arrogance. Now, it is amazing how two people will look at the same situation and have different attitudes. So a person who eats, they, they despise the person who abstains. They think small of them. They, they look down their nose at them. But the person who abstains, they sit back and cluck their tongues like religious bigots in their arrogance, passing judgment. But now listen, God has welcomed him. Who are you, now here's a big statement, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Now, who are people a servant of? God. So who are you to pass judgment on God's servant? It is before his own master, God, that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. Why? for the Lord is able to make him stand. We preached about that a few weeks ago. Now, you, you just have to understand, brothers and sisters, we have no right to sit there and 
pass judgment. And notice, he's talking about the weak person. The weak person passes judgment, not the strong. The strong person despises or disdains. The weak person passes judgment. And Paul said, who, who are you to sit there in arrogance and, and pass judgment on this person? He said, he's God's servant, not your servant. You have no right to judge them. One person esteems one day better than the other, while the other person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Fully convinced in his own mind. All right, so do you worship on Friday? Do you worship on Sunday? Do you worship every day? Now, where would I stand in this? I would kind of esteem all days alike, kind of, and I would kind of look on Shabbat, the Sabbath, which would be the Lord's Day. I would look on the Lord's Day as special, but we have church every day. Okay, so I'm not sure where I fit in this one. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So people who observe the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, not the Jewish Shabbat, but the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day that we honor that he rose, that was the day people had church in the New Testament, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. He said, now listen, you're both doing this to honor God. All right, so both ways. There are people who, on Sunday, the Lord's Day, they're a doctor or they're a nurse and they have to work in the hospital. And so they come to church on Tuesday, okay? But they do it to honor the Lord. So leave them alone. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. I like that. We're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of, Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? And why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So, all right, so he's talking to the weak. They're the ones that pass judgment. And he's talking to the strong in faith because they're the ones who despise. So he says now, you know, really what we should do is say verse 3, and then come back up here and we'll say verse 10. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Every knee shall bow to me. Okay? And every tongue shall confess to God. All right, now notice a couple of things there. As a believer, we only bow to Jesus. Now, that's one of those things I'm kind of funny about. I'm not going to bow to people, but I will bow to Jesus. Now, show respect, yes, but I'm talking about bowing in honor of, of devotion. No, I'm not going to do that. And my tongue will only confess to God. Now, confess here is a big concept. Confession of faith. Confession of faith. Confession of sin. Okay, it's, it only works when it's done to God. So please, you, 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 you've got to just get a hold of this. You, you don't come and confess your sins to me. You confess your sins to God. And you don't confess your faith to people. They can't answer your prayer. Confession of faith is to God. All confession is to God, and that's a huge subject. So then, each of us then will give an account of himself to God. Wow. Each man accountable to God. Now, I got news for you. Every single one of us gives an account of himself to God. 
No blaming. This is your responsibility. You cannot deflect responsibility. So many times when you try to hold people accountable, they always want to deflect it. Well, it's somebody else's fault. When you stand before God, there is no deflection. Let us therefore not pass judgment on each other any longer. Now again, this is the weaker. This is the weaker vessel on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a block or hindrance in the way of a brother. All right, so here's a decision. This is the decision every believer must make. I will never put a stumbling block. I will never put a hindrance in the way of a brother or sister in Christ. I'm just not going to do it. Now, so what Paul is saying is, if you're doing something and you know that it stumbles another believer, just don't do it. It's just that simple. For instance, if I was going out with a family, and I knew that this family had at one time been alcoholics, I would even choose a restaurant that served no alcohol, period. No, no, no alcohol. They wouldn't even smell it. So why would, and you know, if that meant that we ate at McDonald's or Jollibee, then we would eat at McDonald's or Jollibee. It, it would just be that simple. Because I come from a family that has alcoholics in it, and I understand even the smell of that stuff, even the sight of that stuff is a torment to them. And there are believers that have been saved out of that. So I would never do something that would just, okay, if I know it's going to stumble them, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. All right, so clean and unclean is partly thoughts. Partly thoughts. For instance, for me to hug a little kid at the church, there's nothing dirty about that. I love the kids. In fact, I'll be honest with you. During this crazy lockdown, I miss the kids. I love going around the drive-in services and seeing the kids in the car. And it's like they're growing up and I don't get to see them. And before long, they're going to be too big to hug. But see, for me, the kids, I'm like Lolo. In fact, I'll never forget a few years ago when the kids started calling me Lolo. I thought, am I that old? And the kids just were delighted to call me Lolo. But you know, there are some people, they can't hug a kid because there's something busted on their insides. Did you hear what I just said? They're, they're pedophiles. They, they can't hug a kid because something is, is twisted on the inside. Now, this is what Paul is trying to teach us here. There's nothing unclean in itself, but it is unclean to anyone who thinks it's unclean. Part of what makes something wrong is how you think about it. Let me say that again how you think about it. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do you destroy the one for whom Christ died? He said, you know, it's not worth it, okay? It's not worth it. All right, so you, you went out and you ate meat, and it came from a demon idol's temple, and you know what came from there, but that doesn't bother you. But it bothers this other person. He says, so you know what? It's just not worth it. I'll eat vegetables. I'll have a wonderful vegetable dinner tonight so that it doesn't stumble my brother. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. All right, now here's the key. When you stumble people, they talk. What you meant for good, they spoke of as evil. And it's because you stumbled them. So just don't stumble them. Just stay away from it. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the kingdom of God. You want to know what the kingdom of God is about? You don't want to know what the authority of God is about? The, the authority of God is not about food and drink. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now that's beautiful. So if I will live like this, where I purposely don't stumble my brother, let my freedom stumble my weaker brother. He, he may be, he's weaker in the faith, but he's not less of a person. Okay? He might be weaker in the faith, but he's not less of a Christian. You, you, gotta, you gotta get these things in your head. He's not a lesser Christian. He's just weaker in his faith. And you know what? I'm not going to stumble him. And if I live like that, if I'll serve Christ thus, if I'll serve Christ like that, it's number one, acceptable to God, and number two, approved by men. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, all right? He said, lifestyle to pursue. I'm going to pursue things that make for peace, and I'm going to pursue things with my lifestyle that helps build other people up. So do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Can you imagine that? So in other words, Paul said, church is destroyed by food. Amazing. People would destroy an entire local church by food. Everything is indeed clean. Okay, Paul said, listen, Jesus declared all foods clean. And I would come out here into the column and I'd say, Jesus... And I'd look up the reference real quick and put in where Jesus declared all foods clean. Everything is indeed clean. Uh, forgive me. Uh, then I go on is, is clean. Okay. Balut is clean. Okay. Blood is clean. But if it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So if I'm with somebody and they are stumbled by people eating balut, I won't eat balut. And I won't have anybody have a balut party around that person. If there are people who are stumbled by blood, then I will be very careful what I eat around that person. Okay? There are people that I know, Christians that I know, that believe that pork is wrong to eat. And so you know what? I don't eat pork around them. Now, I can remember one time, shh, there was somebody who was really against pork. And they were eating in my house. And I didn't know that they were against pork. And Sister Bev had gotten some lovely pork tenderloin. And she'd sliced it small and she'd made sweet and sour pork with this pork tenderloin. And the guy thought it was chicken. And he ate it and said it was the most delicious chicken he'd ever eaten in his life. To this day, he does not know that he ate pork, okay? So, you know, but when you find out that somebody stumbled by something, ever since with that person, I've never served pork anywhere near them. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that causes your brother to stumble. Now, notice the anything that causes your brother to stumble. I know that there are friends of mine, pastor friends of mine, that consider it sinful to go to a movie theater. Now, they'll watch movies at home, but they won't go to a movie theater. I don't see a problem with it. Now, in the old days when movie theaters were pretty dirty, yeah, you didn't go to a place like that, but it was the location. To this day, I'm very careful, and Sister Bevanshaw will tell you, we're very careful. We, we look up the movie ahead of time, and we get the Christian ratings. You can look up, you know, a Christian rating of a movie and, you know, make sure it's not full of curse words or things that you shouldn't see, you know, things like that. But, you know, if anything that causes my brother to stumble, I'm not going to do it around them, and I'm not going to talk about it around them. It's just that simple. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Okay, he says, so, all right, when it comes to these expressions of conscience, he said, keep it between yourself and God. This is not a, this is not a, a contest. You don't sit down with people and say, oh, you're weaker in your faith than I am and try to convert them. Keep it between yourself and God. Bless is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Remember, the just shall live by faith. Everything from the Christian life flows from faith. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Let me read it to you also NLT. 
What are the worthless and wicked people like? Okay, how do you recognize? How do you recognize worthless and wicked people? First of all, they are constant liars. Notice the word constant. Up here, ESV says they go about with crooked speech. This is a constant thing, okay? They're constantly crooked in their speech, constant liars. Signaling their deceit with a wink of an eye, a nudge of a foot, or a wiggle of fingers, like we know what we really mean here. Their perverted hearts plot evil. Now notice, a perverted heart plots evil. All they do is think around, sit around and think about how they can do something bad to hurt somebody else. And they constantly stir up trouble. Now, now I mean, please, what do you do with this verse except look at it and read it? ESV says their perverted heart devises evil. They are continually sowing discord. So when you see, if, if you want to know, how do I know who's right or wrong in this situation? How do I know, you know, who's the wicked one? Who's the worthless one? Well, the constant lies, the plotting of evil, the constantly stirring up trouble. Okay, there you go. But now notice the end. They will be destroyed suddenly, broken in an instant beyond all hope of healing. That's the sad part. And I've watched this with people in my life. You know, they go along in their arrogance and they're, you know, they look so, so powerful. And then all of a sudden, man, they're just broken. They're, they're, it's a suddenly, just like a, a falling of the Holy Ghost is a suddenly. These people's destruction is a suddenly. They don't just slowly wither away. Just all of a sudden, they're broken. All of a sudden, boom, all their power is gone in an instant, beyond any hope of healing. Now, if you're one of these people, can I just please beg of you? Please, may I beg of you? Please just humble your heart and get right with God. And uh, You don't want this future. I beg of you. You, you don't want this future. You can, you can live in all the self-righteousness you want, but you do not want this. You want forgiveness. You want to walk in love. You want to see the blessings of God and the goodness of salvation come upon your life. Amen. So don't 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 get involved in don't don't get involved in all this stuff. All right. Just stay out of all this stuff. Okay. None of this stuff is fun. None of this stuff is any good. All right. We're seeing the services tonight.